Good morning, church. Good to be with you all this morning. Ephesians 5 is where we'll be. Thank you, friends, for leading us in worship and song. Wonderful, glorious lyrics to celebrate and enjoy together. Let's pray, and then we'll dive in together. Father, as we come this morning, I just praise you for just a gospel-soaked service. Songs to sing that remind us of the, the good news we have in Christ. News of redemption and salvation from sin and death. To partake of the Lord's Supper and remind us of your body broken and blood shed on our behalf for our sins. And now, in your word, reminders that even marriage itself is a picture of this Christ and church relationship. That you, Lord Jesus, purchased a people for yourself, of whom we're a part. And we delight in you, we delight in the truth of who you are, and pray, God, that you would help us now to, to focus in and see you, magnify you, glorify your name, worship you, because you are worthy of all glory and honor and praise. Tune our hearts into you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Ephesians 5. We'll read here in just a moment. It is great to be with you all this weekend. I am delighted to be here. I've been part of this church. Came this last March, coming Lord willing again next March with a team from Cedarville uh, to enjoy time together. And the focus this week has been a lot about marriage, uh, Friday and Saturday this morning as well. And I've been married to my wife, Rachel, for 21 and a half years about now. And uh, man, we all know in that reality, there is a beauty and triumphs and some glorious realities of marriage. And there are difficulties and challenges there as well. So I want to think through some things that remind us of the ultimacy of what our marriage is about this morning. And, and I was reminded of this, I was reading a, a book called The Christian Family by a guy named Herman Bovink. Uh, about a century ago, he wrote this. Uh, here's this, this quote I want to read to you all, uh, which is somewhat humorous, reminding us of what marriage in, in its real depths can be. He says this, To those adversities and crosses that overcome those that are married belong not only the various risks of life, disaster and accident, sickness and death, need and misery, but to these belong also the faults and sins that married people need to put up with in one another. He says, often husband and wife are each other's cross. Ouch, right? If the wife is not the husband's cross or the husband the wife's cross that he or she must carry, then each has one or another quality that is a disappointment or irritation to the other. Who's ever found a husband or a wife who corresponds entirely to the other's expectations? or corresponds fully with the ideal that one had formed in his or her imagination. Never, right, yeah. So in marriage, the virtues find an especially favorable opportunity to unfold and be developed, but the faults and weaknesses are also nowhere more clearly exposed to the light as in the intimate circle of the family. Many a husband who appears great and strong in the eyes of many people, is weak in his own home, petty and narrow-minded. Many a wife who seems like an angel when she's visiting others in her own home is a pest to her husband. I'm quoting. 
Who shall comprehend such wandering and marital life and the spirit of family? And who shall count the sins committed so often by husband and wife against each other? Wow. There's a quote. Singles, huh? <laughs> Marriage, sign on up, right? That, that's, that's some reality we see there in this. And, and here's the thing. That, that is speaking to reality. When two sinners say, I do, there are complexities in that relationship. No doubt about it. But I also want to say to us, in God's sufficient grace, there's beauty in marriage. And I know some here this morning are single, some are dating, some are engaged. We have rookie marriages and veteran marriages, widows and widowers. Some marriages are healthy, some are struggling. And some marriages in this room, and, and maybe no one else knows this, but some marriages in this room may be on the brink of disaster and ending. And I want to say to you this morning, God wants to meet you. He wants to minister to you where you are this morning in his word and in his sufficient grace, that God can do abundant, amazing work in your Christian life and in your Christian marriage that goes beyond your comprehension. That's true. He wants to work in us and for us in these ways. So we want to see his word in Ephesians 5 specifically this morning and think through how marriage, as Lucas said, is a picture of this permanent Christ church relationship, that it reminds us that we who were born in sin, conceived in sin, and deserving of wrath from God, the wages of our sin being death, that the triune God, in his grace, did a work to redeem a people, the Father electing, the Son redeeming, the Spirit securing our salvation. And that marriage is a way to picture, remind us of that. So that actually marriage is a way to remind us it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God and the worship of God ultimately. And marriage is an opportunity to enhance one another's worship of God. That's the opportunity. And as your marriage does that, you look to others around you and say, hey, we want to point you toward the living God in worship. So the main point I want to draw us to today is this. Your, your marriage is ultimately not about you. It's ultimately about God. Like everything is ultimately about God. So it's not about our marriage only. It's that we have this marriage that points us beyond ourselves to God, to worship God. And I'm working on my wife's behalf to enhance her worship of God. And she's working on my behalf to enhance my worship of God. That's a beautiful reality. So I don't have time to review Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, but just some really beautiful chapters on the gospel of Christ, redemption in him, and that Ephesians 5 is based on those chapters. Let's, let's go then to Ephesians 5, verse 22, and read these verses together. Verse 22 says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also 
wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." This mystery is profound that I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So content for wives here, husbands here, but ultimately Christ and our worship of him. So first point to to recognize here early on in verse 22 to 24, wives were called, the call here in the, the verse Verses here is to submit to and respect your husbands. So the idea here again in verse 22 is wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. So the call here is for wives to willingly come under the authority and honor the leadership of their husbands. That's the call in these verses. Now, wives ultimately submit to the Lord as we all submit to the Lord. But there's a, a reality here of saying, okay, not, not to the point of sin, obviously, but the, there's a reality of tangibly submitting to the Lord for a wife is to say, I will submit to my husband in this, this marriage context. This call is based on the fact that the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, there in verse 23. As the church submits to Christ, the point here in these verses say wives should submit to their husbands. Now, I'm fully aware of the fact that that kind of concept submission is not always the most popular concept on planet Earth, in our culture especially. So I teach college students day in and day out at Cedarville University in Ohio. And just this past Wednesday, we were talking through church governance. How is the church governed and led? And we read Hebrews 13, 17 together, which says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. I was saying to students, hey, the call in our lives in our local churches is to submit to and to obey the leadership God's instilled in that local church. And I said to the students, you know, the, the words obey and submit may not be the most popular words ever. Like you're saying, I love the words obey and submit. I just love being called to obey and submit all the time in every context. <laughs> right? We're not always there in that way. And uh, so when I also bring up at times in classes the idea of this, this text here of marriage and, and just make the point of saying, okay, wives submit to husbands and it's based on the Christ church relationship. Then I ask my, my students, hey, has the, the Christ 
church relationship changed in the last two, two millennia? Is Christ still the head? Are we still the body? Are we still called to submit to, to Christ? And, and they all say, yes. And, and some, they know what I'm doing. So some begrudgingly say, yes. I know where you're going with this. If that hasn't changed, and if verse 23 is the basis for verse 22, then verse 22 hasn't changed. And can I just say as well, all these verses are for our good. That God designed marriage in the way he did for flourishing and good and called us to these things in these ways. And can I also say, we are all under authority at some level. We are all submitting at some level. Like I have four layers of bosses at where I live. I've got a dean, I've got a vice president for academics, I've got a president, I have 35 trustees, I have lots of bosses. And they're like, Jeremy, that? I'm like, yes, sir, got it. Because I submit to that. We're all in these relationships. And here he's saying, God is saying, this is good and right and a way in which we pursue flourishing and good in the life of marriage. So wives are asked to submit to and respect their husbands the way the church submits to and respects her head, Christ. So this means wives should respond to a husband's love and leadership joyfully and out of a heartfelt desire to follow his leadership, not begrudgingly, not under compulsion, because marriage is a picture of the Christ church relationship. So a few specifics, like application specifics here, some thoughts to, to consider. I, I talked to Rachel about some of these things to just get me a little more specific on some of this. So here's some things for wives to consider. Wives, look to support your husband's vision and plan for life and for your family. Again, look to support and, and just commend and encourage his vision and plan for life and for your family. And you may say, as I say that, that's the problem. He has no plan for his life or our family. Give me a few minutes, I'll get there, okay? I'll get there. But can I say, when there are inklings at least of that, support that, encourage that, commend that. Here's one, speak to him as an intelligent adult. I'm just telling you, I've been married for 21 and a half years. I've been around a lot of married couples and I've, I've observed a lot of demeaning between spouses. And I wanna to say to wives in the room, Speak to your husband as an intelligent adult who wants to do life with you well. Here's one. Speak about your husband with honor. Away from his presence, in public, with friends, with coworkers. How many people speak of their spouses in demeaning ways in public? Show Christ's likeness by speaking of your husband with honor and respect. Build him up and encourage him. Encourage him when he takes initiative. Just commend that like crazy and say, I love that. That's so good. Encourage and commend those things. Don't immediately and aggressively shoot down his ideas. Don't immediately and aggressively shoot down the ideas. Commend what's there to be commended in those ways. Work to have your goals and intentions align. 
Like work to have those goals and intentions align as you are able in those ways. So you're going to have a lot of discussions. You should. A lot of dialogue, a lot of discussion, a lot of questions, a lot of thoughts communicated along the way. In all of those things, can I plead with wives in the room and someday wives in the room, let your, your knee-jerk reaction by God's grace be that I want to I cooperate and support and respect this man's leadership. That's the call. Now, husbands, secondly here, love and lead your wives. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. Husbands, as Christ is the head of the church, you are the head of your family. You are called to lovingly lead your wife, and if it applies, your children as well. You are called to love as Christ loved and called to be the head and lead in various kinds of ways. So we're called to love, to give of ourselves, to sacrifice for the sake of our wife that she might flourish spiritually. We give of ourselves to say, I want my wife, because of me, by God's grace, to grow in righteousness and in holiness and in love, and that'll cost me some things. I can't spend as much time in hobbies and TV and friends. Some of those things, yes, but I've got to invest time here to make sure she's flourishing as she's called to spiritually. I want to enhance her worship of God not to mean her worship of God. So husbands, we love our wives in a way that shows willingness to lay down our lives. Love is Christ, loved the church, and gave himself up for her. So all the way out to I would lay down my life for this woman, all the way back to the most mundane things. Here's an example. Years ago, my first, second year of marriage, Rachel was washing the dishes at our house, and I was standing by just conversing with her. And I am not a sentimental person like, at all. Um, that's just not how I, how I operate. But in that moment, I was feeling a little bit sentimental toward her, just appreciating her, recognizing her. And as she's washing these dishes, I just said to her, Rach, I just want you to know I love you so much. She said, that's nice. You know, it's moves on with the dishes, and I said, no, 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 babe, I want you to know, I, I love you. I would take a bullet for you. I mean that. To which she said, say, that is so kind of you, and I believe you. Could you dry the dishes? <laughs> what was she saying? She said, I believe your love extends out there, which is fantastic. Could you love me back here? Okay? It can be easy to verbalize sacrifice. It's not as easy to give ourselves to mundane sacrifices. So dishes and laundry and diapers and a hundred other things we can give ourselves to to serve our wives well. Brothers, love your wife out to the point of dying on her behalf all the way back. All the way back to the most mundane of things. Christ died for his bride, the church, and he's purifying her, verse 26 says, by the washing of water with the word that we as his bride might someday be presented to him without spot or blemish, it says in these verses. 
That's the work of God in our lives as Christians, but it's instructive to husbands. It's in the same context there of husbands to remind us our work as well. We protect and provide, we lead and love, and part of that work is providing for the spiritual growth of our wife. That they're advancing spiritually and we're, we're some help toward that end. We want to be sure our marriage relationships are immersed in the word of God and prayer. That we're immersing ourselves in Bible and prayer and leading her toward those ends. And that comes down to habits. What are your habits? Are Bible and prayer a part of your habits as a married couple? There will be moments when you may feel even desperate to say, oh God, I don't know where to go right now. With my marriage, there are things that I'm hearing from your word and hearing at this weekend conference and this morning and we've got a long ways to go. That's a good place to be because God loves to meet humble people. He loves to meet humble people and supply grace to them for their growth. He loves that. So husbands, a few thoughts here on this. Lead spiritually. Lead spiritually. Yes, work hard and provide physically and financially. Protect from physical harm. Give good gifts. Do all those things. But be sure your love and provision also consist in spiritual matters. Be sure that's part of what you do, a big part of what you do. So think through this. In, in terms of doing those things, take initiative. Take initiative. I said this yesterday, I'll say it again today. Let one of your favorite words as a husband become let's. L-E-T apostrophe S. Let's pray. Let's go for a walk. Let's plan a vacation. Let's read this chapter from the Bible together. Let's read this Christian book on marriage together. Let's figure out what to do with this child together. Oh my. Right, well, whatever. Whatever. Let's, that's right. The initiative-taking vocabulary that we need to adopt as husbands. Make, here's one, make decisions with your family in mind, not just your selfish desires. Because, oh my, it can be so easy to devolve to my own sinful, selfish desires. Make your decisions with your wife in mind. Here's one. Come home from work ready to serve, not to be served. Come home from work ready to serve and not to be served. I mean, I've got a walking commute every day. I live very close to where I work, so I walk every day. I've got to remind myself like 10 times, I'm going to serve, not to be served. I'm going to serve, not to be served. I had to remind me of that because that's what Jesus does. I'm called to follow in his steps by his grace and to say, okay, Lord, I, I want to be served. I want that. But I know my kids, my wife have needs. So I want to serve them well. Please, God, help me to do that well. Here's one. Take initiative in family worship. Worshiping as a family. Take initiative there to say, how will we do that? Will we read some Bible at maybe breakfast time or dinner or after dinner sometime? Just find a rhythm to take initiative there with spiritual gathering and doing those things. Can I just say Saturday nights, like Sunday mornings begin Saturday nights. So maybe as a family you could think about, maybe we could read the text we're going to hear preached tomorrow morning and prepare our hearts to hear the word of God preached. Husbands, take initiative there. 
and lead in that kind of a way. Um, another one here. Talk to and listen to your wife's concerns. Listen actively to her. Take them into account. Seek to serve her well. Fight passivity. Ah, fight passivity. That's a tendency. You've got to fight against that. And one other for husbands here. Seek to eliminate things that are hindering spiritual flourishing. Seek to eliminate things that are hindering spiritual flourishing. If you recognize and see that thing is hindering our ability to worship God wholeheartedly, but I really love it, can I encourage you to consider cutting that thing out for the sake of maximal joy in God? You will never divest yourself of worldly things and not gain a thousandfold joy in the Lord. He will always provide above and beyond what will be found there in such measure it will blow your mind. So look to eliminate things that would hinder spiritual flourishing and look to, to bring in things that would foster spiritual flourishing in your household. Third, marriage is ultimately, so we got wives, husbands, and Third here, marriage is ultimately about Christ and the church. In verse 32, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. Again, our temporary earthly marriages are pointed to this permanent reality of Christ and the church. So marriage doesn't ultimately center on us. It's a picture to the world of, hey, this goes beyond us to Christ purchasing a people for himself by means of the gospel, the good news that he died, rose again, and is calling us to believe in him as Lord and Savior and treasure. And seeing marriage in that way changes your marriage. Seeing marriage in that way changes the way you approach your marriage. Suddenly you realize, man, I've been perhaps putting on my spouse this full weight of my expectations and my desires, placing all that on their shoulders. And guess what? They can't bear that burden. They weren't made to bear that burden. Christ is the one who says, come to me. I will satisfy the needs of your soul. That's why, again, your marriage is this opportunity to say, look to Christ, look to Christ, look to Christ. And together you see him and you savor him. And the problem at times is that our marriages can be instead filled not with worship, but with idolatry. Sometimes things in our marriage that come up like selfishness and impatience, a selfish desire for comfort and ease, lack of love, lack of respect, stubbornness, anger, laziness, self-indulgence, pride, lack of communication or unhealthy communication, lust, infidelity, on and on it goes is because we've started orienting around idolatry and not worship. So I want to I point us, as we think on these things, very briefly, to Revelation, of all places. Revelation 17 and 21, just a few verses from each, and thinking through this together. So Revelation 17, verse 1, says this. I want to read this as two pictures, contrasting pictures, and you'll see the connection. This angel, verse 1, says, Come, I'll show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, 
with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. On her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled greatly. You may say, that's a weird picture. That's an odd depiction. And, and here's the real reality. John here is seeing a vision of the world, like worldliness, symbolized by this place called Babylon. And John's seeing this vision to say, hey, the way of the world could look on the outside, the exterior, alluring and desirable. But when you see its realities, what it is, it's disgusting. And then in chapter 21, Revelation 21, verse 9, to contrast, says this. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full, the, the seven last plagues, and spoke to me saying, come, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. This is the people of God now. He carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels, and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes, the sons of Israel were, were inscribed, on the east, three gates, on the north, three gates, on the south, three gates, and the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So here's a contrast between Babylon and this new Jerusalem, this new creation to come. And John's trying to say, man, in this imagery, you should be appalled by the Babylon thing and enthralled by the new Jerusalem thing. And here's the thing. As we, as married couples, as singles, whoever, if we engage in idolatry, we are walking down the road toward Babylon. And John's trying to expose us to the realities to say, don't go down that path. It may look alluring, but in the end, the way is destruction. Look at the new Jerusalem. Know that you're purchased by Christ. You are to be this unadorned, I'm sorry, this, this adorned, beautiful, unblemished, purified bride of Christ. Knowing that's your identity, walk toward that new Jerusalem together as a married couple in purity and joy and holiness and righteousness and love, helping one another to more readily and more emphatically and more fully worship the living God. That's the call, friends. And the call on us this morning to consider is our marriage polluted by and being led down the path of Babylon? Or is it being enhanced in worship with living God and going toward this new Jerusalem of which we are a part of, we're in Christ? 
and would say to us this morning, the picture is there, the reality is sure, Christ has done all there is to be done. If you're in Christ, that is your identity. So let's pursue together, in whatever state God has us, the enhancement of one another's joy in God. Let's pursue together in marriages. Let's pursue as a church here in this place. How can I look to you and see I'm gonna work for your progress and your joy in the faith. I wanna do what I can do so you can see and savor Jesus Christ. I wanna honor him because the, ch- the Christ church relationship is eternal. It's ultimate. All this, including especially marriage, points there. So let's expand our thinking on this, remind ourselves of these truths, and help one another press toward the realities that are ours in Christ. Let's pray. Fathers, we think on those things. We are so grateful for your grace, and we know, Lord, even today or this weekend, if we've been here, there are ways in which we fall short. There are ways in which we Uh, do not submit to you as Lord, come to you as our satisfaction as we ought. And Lord, we confess that today and we believe that you forgive us and you empower us and you give us all that we need. We want to build our life on you. We want our marriages to showcase the gospel. We want to enhance one another's worship. So in marriages, yes, but in community groups, as a church as a whole, and student ministries, kids' ministries, all over this place, would you help us to recognize our role in helping others more readily, more joyfully, glorifying and worshiping you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.